Happy New Year. 2008. That is crazy. My son Joey just got a letter jacket and it's got 10 on it. 2010. Isn't that weird? I mean, when I was in high school, I was like, you know, Jetsons kind of stuff. I mean, it was way out there. Uh, My name is Dan Hardy, and I'm one of your pastors. Chris Richards, Dean Hendrickson, and Danny Evans are pastors here as well. We're just here to serve you all in any way we can. Welcome, particularly you new folks. This is a different Sunday. Typically, we teach through the Word, verse by verse, and we've been teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. I believe we're in chapter 6, and we're going to take a three-week break. So this is not what we normally do. We enjoy and benefit from teaching verse by verse through the Bible. If you're new with us here today, it's a mixed blessing for you. It's a mixed blessing because you're not going to see what we normally do on Sunday morning. But the good part of it is, is you're going to hear the heartbeat of what Windsor Community Church is about. And I'm just curious, other than the people that are here for the first day, and if you wouldn't mind standing up, it would help me out a lot. How many of you started calling Windsor Community Church your home after August of last year. Would you please just stand up, just so we can get a visual? Stand up. We won't clap. Stand up. There. Okay. And then there's probably another, thank you, and there's probably another 20 people that aren't here. The Lord is at work in our midst, and we're going to talk about a number of things today, and we're going to mainly focus on our mission, and we're going to talk about the history of Windsor Community Church. And I just contradicted one of the things I'm going to talk about, and that is is that a measure of success in this church is not tails in the seats on Sunday morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about what is a measure of success. First, I want to encourage you with some of the things that the Lord has done since this church started in July of 2001. And we're going to do it pictorially. This picture here was in our living room sometime in the winter or spring of 2001. There's something I want to mention, and I could not find a picture for it, but there is a major event in the life of this church that was really a a launching pad for all of us even being here. And it happened Labor Day. It was in September 2000. And we were at uh, Tim and Leslie Glessman's house, and it was Harvest Festival time, and we were preparing to do an outreach in the park. We had this kind of harebrained idea that we'd go invite people to a marriage study, and we handed out... I don't know, 90 plus invitations and not a one person signed up. And we thought, huh. So we went back to, the, to their house to, to pray. And, and that day, the Lord in his wisdom took home Sarah Grace at six months old. She went to be with the Lord. And that event bound the core of us together like nothing else could hold us together. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, particularly for those of you that are new and that haven't been here since then, is that the event in the house that day, just faithful servants crying out to the Lord, He has used it for this church being here today. This was just a gathering. Once we started sensing after that event that the Lord wanted a church in Windsor, we started gathering a core group. The Lord started moving people to Windsor. And really, we just all looked around and went, we got a church. God's moving people to Windsor. And so we gathered there. Next slide. There's Pastor Willie, who went to Greeley, John Norland, got the Martins, Valerie Yarbrough, the Evanses, Nancy, Alan Wilson, Dwayne Jones. Go back a slide. Rich Miller, Ben. Remember the folks' name that went to Salt Lake City? Russ, yeah. So it was, just, it was this group of people, and about half of them are gone because they either went to the church and Greeley planted the church, or they've moved away. Next slide, please. 
We had preview services once a month, I believe, once a month at the town of Windsor Town Hall. And this was a, a preview service where we just gathered monthly before we were sent out from Mountain View at Town Hall. Next slide. And uh, then we were sent off. This is Mountain View Community Church. Mountain View was started in 1993 by Tom and Don Harkis. Uh, they kind of parachuted in from California and started Mountain View. And the church grew to about 300 people. And on this date in June, they commissioned us. They commissioned about 70 of us, a man, woman, and child. I think it even counted a few pregnant ladies in there. But they, they sent us to Windsor to start Windsor Community Church. Next slide. And we started meeting at Mountain View Elementary School, just not too far from the library. Next slide. And there's our first children's celebration with the big kid in the middle. Next slide. And it is such a blessing. I take it so for granted that this building here, this warehouse, that very few new churches in America get to have their own building. And the Lord graciously provided this building for us. And it was a barn-raising party for Months seemed like years, but it was months. And there's Bob Fine. That's little Joey Hardy. Isn't he cute? <laughs> I think that's Keith, is that Keith Knutson? I think it is. I think he's got his hand nailed to the board. He's going to help. <laughs> Next slide. There was our first sound table, and Kevin and Richter are running it. Next slide. One of the many baptisms that the Lord allowed us to be a part of over the years. Gary Jurgensmeyer. Next slide. Tom. Next slide. Bill, in the lake. Next slide. And uh, Danny Evans was a pastor in training when uh, the church was started, and we laid hands on him and, and commissioned him as a pastor. And we don't have a picture of it, but several years later, we laid hands on Chris being a pastor. Uh, next slide. Um, and deacons. Uh, this was, I think sometime in the last year, where Stan and Steve and Kevin were commissioned as deacons to join uh, Gary Cooper and Mark Babb that were already deacons. Next slide. This is the church plant in Wilmington, North Carolina. Pastor Tom Harkis and his wife Don came out and started Mountain View in 1993. They were faithful in their service at Mountain View Community Church. They raised up leaders, and the Lord led them to Wilmington to start this church in 2005. And this is a recent picture where the Lord provided them this building. So this is, isn't this cool? I mean, this, this is a living, active body of Christ that every one of you that are a part of this community is sacrificed for because we have been able to give to them financially. And Tom is a big part of who we are. He mentored and still mentors a lot of us, and we were able to give him away. So praise the Lord for that. Next slide. Czech Republic. We have a sister church in Satine, Czech Republic. And Chris there in the middle, the kind of Czech-looking guy, and my, myself and Kevin Wolf. We're able to be there to encourage them and pray for them as the Lord launched this church. And again, we are a huge part of that. We give, we, you, Windsor Community Church gives on a monthly basis to this work in Satine, Czech Republic. Next slide. There's their body without the Americans. Next slide. August 24th of 2006. It just, it seems like yesterday. We were able to release 40 some dear saints. To go start a work in Greeley that is living, it's active, the Holy Spirit is at work and lives are being changed. This was the send-off for the people in Greeley. And it kind of came about the same way Windsor did. People were moving to Greeley, lived in Greeley, and they looked up one day and said, we're a church. 
The only thing that was missing was somebody to lead the work, and God put it on Willie's heart and Ben Yarbo's heart and Dustin's heart and Aaron Santini's heart to lead that work. Next slide. This was the tail end of that service. That was our last gathering together with Greeley. That's the whole gang. I wish there was a close-up where I could show each one of your faces. But at that time, this church body was about probably 250 strong. And again, we sent between 40 and 50 people to Greeley. Next slide. We're a part of something called the Crossway Network of Churches. The church in Wilmington is called Crossway Church of Wilmington. The church in Greeley is called Crossway Church of Greeley. We're called Windsor Community Church, a Crossway Chapel. Mountain View is called Mountain View Community Church, a Crossway Chapel. We've gathered the last four years as pastors and wives of these different works. And this is the last one in 2007. And I think there was over 30 people there, men and women, that are are part of these uh, churches. We have a sister church in McMinnville, Oregon. There's another church in Chicago that we're relationally connected with. Their five leaders are coming out next weekend and spending three days with us. They'll probably join us formally. So the Crossway Chapel Network of Churches is a movement of churches that are relationally connected. We're not a denomination. And what I mean by that is, is that we're not going to sign on the dotted line that we have to give money to one another and we have to show up at each other's events and all that. We're relationally connected. And we do set aside money. We set aside 5% that goes to the network. And the purpose of that is, is to pay for the equipping and the training of pastors to when the Harkis's 15-year-old son, Chatty, died in August. That money was there to send a few of us out there to bless them and to be a part of their lives and encourage them. I think that's the last slide. Oh, there's one more. The, um, that's me. This was an event that we did last year. Chris Richards hit me with a ski. I mean, he was ticked off. He didn't. He, he felt like it, though. The reason I wanted to show that this is a, and you can take the picture off. Any of you that are weak, you ever get a head wound? I mean, I thought, I was, Danny Evans was on the side of the mountain with me, and I was calling for flight for life. And the only reason being is because I looked down, and my, my hat was soaked with blood, and there's blood all over the, and it was just a scratch. But I really thought that I wasn't going to get off the mountain. But I'm okay. Uh, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, when we planted the church in August, Willie O'Burke was paid full-time. Rich Miller and Dustin Tallman were paid part-time as our administrative people. And then when they planted, oh, and Willie was doing about 80% of the preaching, and the rest of us were doing about 20% of the preaching. When they planted, it was Dean and Danny and I's pastors. Chris is a pastor in training. And what we decided to do is to divide the preaching. 25% of the time. And that's a good information for you newbies to have as well. We're a different model where you're never going to see one guy up here all the time opening the word. You're going to see four guys that share the load. After the plant, we had no staff people. No paid staff people. And we were just kind of looking around at each other going, okay, good. Maybe we can outsource this stuff. Chris Hines stepped up, and Chris was our administrative assistant for a little while. Chris was a dear sister in the body. Her and her husband, Randy, moved to Colorado Springs and left a void. And Joanne Toffsley filled that void in a huge way. Thank you, sister. And Joanne is our admin. Joanne is paid for 15 to 20 hours a week. We're trying to justify that before the Lord because she does 90 or 100 hours a week. But she is just such a blessing. And they in, uh, oh, excuse me, Danny Evans was paid halftime, too, as a youth guy. Okay, you tracking with me? Danny Evans was a youth guy paid half time until February of 2007. 
And Nancy and I, our family, the Lord's brought us to an interesting place financially through a lot of mistakes that I've made and just through God's sovereignty and lessons that he wanted to teach us that I wouldn't have learned any other way. And Danny Evans knew about it, and him and Sue talked, and Danny called me lunch, and he says, Sue and I were talking, and we want to give our salary to you, and which was a half-time salary. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, no, there's not another guy on the planet that's more prideful than me. So Danny and Chris and Dean and I had breakfast at Egg and I, and they affirmed that, that it was a, a good season for this transition, and I took over half-time. Okay, and I want to remind you that when, it doesn't matter who's paid here. Over the last six years or the next six years, we have always operated in plurality and we'll always operate in plurality. And what that means is, is that there's not one guy in charge. Many of you have been a part of churches, whether it's what I call the Moses model, where there's one guy that dictates. And then there's an elder board that's really just a bunch of talking heads that might vote on things. Okay, we have true plurality. We don't move forward on any major decision without unanimity. And you know what? In six years, there's only been two fistfights. No, there's been no fistfights. We, we've, the Lord has worked in an amazing way. In an amazing way. And then you fast forward to, to now. And there's been a lot for us to do. God's been gracious. You've all been gracious in freeing me up half-time. Chris has got a full-time job. Dean has got a, nine full-time jobs. Danny's got a full-time job. And then I have a, a small business uh, that I own with my partner, Gary. And then I've got a, a couple other things that I do as well. And the Lord just really started putting on my heart that I would love to be able to do this for a season full time. And these guys at RFAC meeting, effective January 1st, freed me up full time. This church is paying me full time. And it is such an amazing thing. Praise God. And I would tell you that I, I have never thought that I'm called to full-time ministry. I've never thought that. And, and I still don't. Um, but the Lord has me here right now. And it is a blessing to our family. And my only desire is, is to use the gifts that the Lord's given me and the time that He's freed me up to magnify the name of Jesus Christ in this building, in this community to serve you, to equip you, and just to, uh, just to see the Lord bless this church. So I praise the Lord for that. I felt like it, it's something that you all needed to know, you know, just so we can put a reason why nobody comes next week. You know, put, put a name on that. That's it. That's it. I'm going to bring up Gary Cooper. There's going to be a kind of bunch of uh, kind of knee-jerk things going on this morning. But Gary, come on up here, brother. Gary called yesterday and said that he wanted to read a letter to the body. And I said, praise the Lord. And we're going to talk the rest of the service about the mission of Windsor Community Church, what the Lord has called us to. And how is it that we evaluate how we're doing in that mission? For those of you that are new, Gary's wife Janice, my dear sister, your dear sister and friend, went home to be with the Lord on December 5th. And um, Gary is the gutsiest man on the planet. I'm just going to let him do his thing. Good morning. Can you hear me? Great. Um, let me just start by saying that Dan um, made one mistake in his presentation. 
Just one? That was about just one. Okay. And uh, that was about him being the most prideful guy here. And uh, that's not true. I am. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God uh, has taken care of that in some dimension. Uh, I, there's a part of me that wishes I was not standing here. Um, I'm standing here in part because of uh, Jan's uh, home going um, and her battle with cancer 27 months. On the other side of that, <laughs> this is the only place I want to be. It's in front of you telling you who you are and what you mean to me. And I'll try to do that. If you know me at all, uh, I jokingly uh, talk about I graduated high school at Literate. And uh, <laughs> happens to a lot of guys that play sports um, for some reason. But um, I did that. And so in writing this, I, I took the pen and paper and then put it on the computer. Um, this kind of like pulling my wisdom teeth out and my toenails and fingernails all at once. Uh, to do this, but it needed to be done. I, in the end, again, I love the opportunity to be able to do this. And so with that said, I'll try to get through this. Outside of who Christ is and, and what Christ meant to Jan and I and having Him as our Lord and Savior, and as Him being the one who sustained us and who made us who we were, I suppose that if we had to, we could have gotten through this 27 months without you. And in saying that, that's to His glory and His credit, not to ours. But in saying that, that He graciously and lovingly did not allow that to happen. Because of the dynamics of what he set forth in the body of Christ, and I want to try to I'm going to try to express to you my feelings, what this means to me, what you mean to me, and and so here we go. This is a special thank you from Jan and myself, compelled by Jesus Christ. God's tender loving kindness placed us within this young body of Christ. Little did we know what his will would have in store for us as we would be obedient to his calling. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that are coming in order to test you. Don't feel as though something strange has happened to you. This obedience would take many of us to places we would not choose to have ventured physically, mentally, and spiritually. When the news came, it is cancer. You were there, pledging your love and support. To us as members of something bigger than cancer and ourselves. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness, in heavenly places. You were there. We were put into the darkest hours of our lives. You were there as a shining star with a candle of friendship and prayer support. First Peter one nineteen says, 
continue to pay attention as you would to a light that shines in a dark place as you wait for day to come and the morning star to rise in your hearts. You were there. When the road was rough and filled with tumors and broken bones and radiation and chemo and operations, making it too painful to walk, you were there. And you lifted us on wings like eagles. Isaiah reminds us, Don't you know, haven't you heard, the eternal God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, doesn't grow tired or become weary. His understanding is beyond reach. He gives strength to those who grow tired and increases the strength of those who are weak. Even young people grow tired and become weary and young men will stumble and fall. Yet the strength of those who wait on the hope of the Lord will be renewed. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and won't become weary. And they will walk and they won't be tired. You were there. When I wasn't there, God chose a time to bring many of you together with Jan's broken leg and both arms. You were there surrounding her with love, prayer, encouragement and a hedge of protection while holding her hand, not allowing the evil one to attack her with discouragement. First Peter 5, 6 through 8 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a hungry lion, seeking whom to devour. You were there. When time for staff meetings would roll around and I wanted to be there with my brothers talking about this, his church and seeking his will for the body. I must confess that my heart just wasn't there many times. Only to have your husbands and your fathers lay hands on me to intercede where I was weak and faithless. Praying when I felt prayed out. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You were there. In my darkest hours with death at the door, I would go to open it many times only to look into the face of one of Jesus' saints bringing hope and sunshine into the bedroom. With a constant flow of lovely ladies that would be ever ready to fill in the gaps of seamless time and pain and suffering. You were there. When the needs for travel and family overwhelmed me by overwhelmed me, your giving sacrificiously from the depths of love that touched even the coldest hearts and hardest hearts. You were there, meeting all of those needs. When I grew weary and physically tired, you were there with love, encouraging words and prayer to sustain me. Galatians 5.22 says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You were there. Okay, so what is this thing called the body of Christ? Is it a group of people doing good deeds for others? Is it a group trying to look like Christ or an example of him? Sorry. I believe there are a lot of groups and organizations that meet these conditions. But no, the body of Christ to me is much more. You have become broken bread and crushed grapes. Your bread was sweet and nourishing, giving me strength when I was weak. Your crushed grapes became sparkling wine that refreshed and brought hope of a new day in Christ. When Christ said, this is my body, he was speaking of you. You are the body of Christ. The living, breathing in this now world where sin enslaves all of those born and death waits at the door to claim all who have not bent a knee to the Savior of this world. You and I together stand somewhere between birth and death of everyone that God places in our lives. And we are to point them to Christ because you are Christ walking on this earth. I think I'm understanding more and more what this great plan was really there all along. He said that I must go and I send the Holy Spirit to be with you. I just uh, want to personally thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, You remember in... um, in the TV series Home Improvement, and uh, when uh, um, Tim Allen and his son was his oldest son was growing up, and he got to that place where he was a young teenager, and Tim wanted to actually Tim embarrassed him in front of some of his friends by saying he loved him and hugged him, and so they came up with a a little deal it was called uh, they were in Detroit of course, in course so whenever he was around his son and his friends he would say what about those lions and that was their password to say I love you and kind of covered it up um, for you here to me I don't need a password I just want you to know that I love you uh, from the bottom of my heart Let's, uh, let's pray for Gary. Father, uh, Lord, I just thank you that you are who you say you are. That you are the giver and taker of life. That each of our days are numbered. And Lord, that we all are suffering from a disease that is fatal. We all have it. And Lord, this life is truly a vapor. And I'm sure that's clear to Gary that it is to me right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would give each of us the mindset to live as if uh, every day is our last. 
and to uh, treat uh, loved ones as if every day is their last. And I'm just so grateful for my friend, partner in ministry, partner in business. And just thank you, God, that you've uh, wired him uniquely. I thank you, God, that you've given him everything he needs for life and godliness. And I just pray that you'd show us as a body how we can serve him, how we can encourage him, how we can be Christ to him. And I just pray, God, in those uh, dark, uh, desperate moments that you would give him the power to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that Gary would keep his eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of his faith. And then you, the God of all comfort and joy, would meet him where he's at, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. We thank you so much again for Janice. Thank you for the opportunity you gave us in December as a body to celebrate your goodness and faithfulness in her life and what it was that she meant to us. And I pray, God, that her life, by your grace, would impact each of us for eternity. It's in Christ's special name we pray. Amen. You know, I don't pretend to know how God uses things like this. But I got a sense in my heart that just like Sarah Grace's death was a launching pad for a group of 70 people. I just really feel like the Lord knit us together in a supernatural way as we ministered to Jan and Gary as a family over the last 27 months. And again, I don't I'm just along for the ride. But I sense deep down in my heart that the Lord wants to do something special with us at Windsor Community Church, in this town, in this network, and to the ends of the earth. And I just ask that you would beg the Lord to show you as individuals and families and community groups how it is He wants you to participate And to continue using your gifts to not only edify this body, but to make known the great name of Jesus Christ. The title of this message today is Staying on Track, Our Mission. And I so appreciate, brother, what you had to say. Because what you just defined, what you just described, is the body of Christ in action. And you know, we don't go to church on Sunday morning. We are the church. We go to a Sunday morning service. But God says that you and I as believers are the church. And you know, there are few things that are more frustrating to me than not being able to get done what I want to get done. Do you know what I'm talking about? New Year's is a great time to kind of reflect upon that and to kind of turn that page and to either plan to get the things done that you wanted to get done in 07 or just to shove them under the bed and pretend like they never were there and to move on. Some of you may not be able to relate with this in the context of business or maybe even church, but I know all of you can relate to it in the way of family. Sometimes we can't ever get to the important things because of the routines that we have in our life and the crisis that comes up day in and day out. You know what I'm talking about? The running kids uh, to soccer, to school, checking the emails, watching our favorite TV shows. It goes on and on. Paying the bills at times is urgent, yet we don't have the time to put together a financial plan or a retirement plan. Our greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. 
And it is particularly important for us as believers to understand this. It's kind of been a theme, and I've kind of continually sinned one day after another. Because oftentimes, the Lord's gifted me with discernment, which sometimes is a curse because I know something's going on. But sometimes I just can't put my finger on it. If anybody else, if, you, if you're wired that way, you know what I'm talking about. And in our family, sometimes it just feels like we're on the treadmill of life, you know? It's just on the treadmill of life. And so what I do is I sense that. And you know what I do? I complain about it. It's like I just want to slow things down. I want to focus on the things that are important. I'm tired of the tail wagging the dog. And the tail of the dog's getting wagged like this in our house. Children. You know, my kids are 21, 19, and 15. And I got a, a kid-in-law that's 25. And I wish I would have spent more time. You know, and it's okay to say this. Sometimes we don't want to go, you know, I wish I would have, because we spend so much time beating ourselves up. But it's important to reflect upon things that we wish we would have done differently so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. And I wish I would have spent more time being diligent on family devotions. I wish I would have spent more time having heart-to-heart, eye-to-eye. Where'd that come from? Heart-to-heart, eye-to-eye conversations with my kids. I think they're really important. Establishing a trust that would be a foundation for a lifetime of friendship. For those of you that have young kids, if you're not spending time with them, eye to eye, with the word open, and asking them how they're doing, and really caring about it, it's going to build up plaque that's going to be hard to chip away for a lifetime potentially. And I just praise the Lord that he's waking me up to that now. By the way, sins have a way of repeating themselves, don't they? I don't know how the whole generational sin thing works. In fact, I'm not quite sure that it's even biblical. But I do know that there's DNA that's passed on. And I know that the way that that my grandfather treated my dad and the relationship they have is very similar to the relationship that I have with my dad. I'm going, oh no, here it comes. And I want to be the one that breaks it. Amen? Same thing happens in our marriages. Wouldn't you love to be able to take long walks together, sit in a coffee shop and catch up, to really get to know one another and focus and invest in one another? God's put us together as lifetime mates, as spouses. We're one flesh. Most of us can't because we're caught in the tyranny of the urgent. Rotate the tires, emails to check, text messages to send. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I'm the guilty one. In fact, husbands, most of the time, we're the guilty ones. You know? Our wives see it. They don't know how to get off of it. They need our leading to get them off of it. You know, some of the most important things that Nancy and I have done over the years, and we haven't done it regularly, it's because of my laziness, quite frankly, is that two days a year, in December typically, we'd get away and we'd plan for the year. We'd plan, we'd prioritize, and we'd pray. What a novel idea. If anybody owns a business, can you imagine not planning for the next year? We do it all the time as families. We wing it. Another thing we've done is on Sunday nights is to get our calendars open and look at the next week together. But oftentimes the tyranny of the urgent creeps in and we don't get it done. A wise businessman once said, one minute spent in planning saves three or four minutes in execution. I believe it. Side note. How many of you send more than two text messages a day? You don't need to raise your hand. Yeah, it's all the six deal, the young ones. 
It's kind of a running joke around our house, really. And I think sometimes I take it too far. Right, Joey? Okay, you don't need to know. And you know, it's my fault because I pay for it. I mean, I pay for it in two different ways, money and other ways. But it's, I mean, talking about the tyranny of the urgent. I mean, 3,000 text messages in a month. I mean, that's average for, for young people. Can you imagine getting a text message and every time somebody called you, you'd respond? I mean, it's the tyranny of the urgent. Now, to catch you young people slack, Joey's little friend, not little friend, he's a big friend, Jason has had cancer. And it looks like the Lord's healed him from it. But he was at basketball last week and he started having severe chest pains. And they took him to the hospital. And Joey sent out a text message to 30 of his friends like that for prayer. And guess what? Ten of those friends in like two and a half seconds responded. I'm talking about the tyranny of the urgent. But there's a good thing. For, it's the first good thing I've found so far. <laughs> when it comes to our Christian life, the same thing happens. The urgent matters of the day crowd out our prayer time. It crowd out our time in the Bible. It crowds out our quiet time. Not only that, but our concern for God's kingdom is crowded out. Not many of us lay in bed wondering about the salvation of our next door neighbor. Or wondering what night would be a good night to invite the neighbors over. No, we're thinking about bills. We're thinking about kids. We're thinking about just the tyranny of the urgent. The urgent crisis crowds out the things of the Lord. The things of God just don't seem to be urgent. You know, I talk a good game. I'm not only one of your four pastors. I'm now a paid pastor. I'm telling you. The tyranny of the urgent. I mean, I can say I want to reach the lost. I can say that I want to invite my neighbors over. It's important to me. But it really must not be that important if it just doesn't happen because of me being too tired, too lazy, or fill in the blank. We may work day and night to achieve much that seems significant to ourselves and others. But we will not finish the work God has for us to do. And men, we're especially guilty of this. We work and we work and we work. And if you feel like deep down in your heart, and only you know is, is, is families and individuals, if you're prioritizing the Lord in your day-to-day life. And if you're not, and you're consumed with bills, you're consumed with kids, you're consumed with job. Well, the Lord does have us in seasons like this. But you can always downsize your house, drive older cars, get a new job. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. Don't look back 20 years from now and wish. Fill in the blank. If we're not prioritizing the important spiritual things in our life, it's going to have a direct impact on the effectiveness of the local church. It goes full circle. The church becomes a group of people that have lost sight of the important things. You know, based on my calendar, my checkbook, you could probably say that I don't prioritize building relationships with lost people. And you know what? For me, and I vow that I wouldn't use the term lost people. You know, when I say lost people, I'm talking about people that are unchurched, that have yet to bend their knee to Christ. I can say that's important, but this is the year. This is the year, honey. This is the year. You hold me accountable. This is the year where we're going to set aside time to invest in redemptive relationships. People that God has sovereignly put in our life anyways. We don't need to look for them. They're right next door to us. 
They're on the sidelines of the games we watch. They're right there. Making disciples is not urgent. I don't stay awake at night wondering about it. Is building God's kingdom a priority for you? Take a look at your calendar and your checkbook. That'll answer that question. A local church that is driven by the urgent matters, just like our homes, and consequently loses sight of the important matters over time becomes a church that doesn't matter. And I want to tell you, I want to just pause for a minute. This is a church here, Windsor Community Church, that I really feel like is all about the important matters. We have got a layer of servants. This is not a church that has a hierarchy like this, if you know what I mean. If you've seen an org chart, it's one that's got a wide, broad base of number of people that own ministry. And that's the best thing that came out of this church plant, is a number of you that own ministry in a significant way. You know, and I don't know how your hearts are doing. I really don't know how you're doing with your intimacy with God and your time in the Word and spending time with Him. But typically, our service is an outpouring of that. Otherwise, if it's not, we're going to burn ourselves out and we're going to become bitter. When a church mindlessly allows crisis stuff to drive them corporately to the neglect of the thing that God has left us here to do, they just become another church in the town that is active and busy and makes very little difference in the culture or the society. Churches are busy. Go to the average church and check out their bulletin board. And you're going to see events on men's events, women's events, kids' events, outreach events, birthdays in August events, nursery events. Busy, busy, busy. All of these crises, if it left unchecked, can subtly drive the direction of the church. And we don't want to be a church. I don't want... It kind of makes me sick to my stomach thinking about being a part of a church. And we're not there by God's grace. That is just busy, busy, busy. Where every night of the week is filled up. Where we can't prioritize a night to be with our neighbors. Where we're doing so many programs that don't fit with our mission or our core values... That we're not any good to anybody. Nobody means for it to happen, but before long, a local church begins to move in the direction, following, responding to, and reacting to crisis, and we lose our mission. We're not immune from that. If we're not careful and we don't pay attention to who God has uniquely wired us to be, God tells us what the universal church is to be like. He actually tells us what the local church is going to be like. If you want a great study on it, it's Acts 2. But he has called us inside of that to a unique mission. Because this is a unique culture and society that we live in. I want to be a part of what God's up to. Because life is too short to just play church. And to just do things. Why? Because it's the way we've always done it. You know, there are programs... Give you an example. This might conjure up some, some bad memories for some folks, but we made a decision a year and a half ago to, to nix VBS, uh, Vacation Bible School. And for all church practice manuals, the way we were doing VBS was textbook. There were a hundred kids coming to this thing. And what we found out is, is that it took thousands of hours of, of man time, man and woman's time, women's time. Let's not make a mistake. Uh, some men helped out. No, women. 
but it was it was our kids, which is okay. And it, we were sucking in church kids from other churches. And there were very few relationships that were established to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. You know what I'm saying? So there's so many good things to do out there. And we just want to be purposeful. And we want to be... I'm not a politically correct guy. And my, my desire is to please the Lord first and foremost. And however the Lord directs the leadership... That's how I want to be a part of. And there's going to be things that I want and you want that we're just, it's just not going to happen because it doesn't fit the mission or, or the core values. How do we as a church know, you know what, we're not going to be able to finish this today. We'll go next week. But I'll just prompt you or bait you on what's going on next week. How do we as a church know if we are on target with our mission? So we've got a mission. Our mission statement is leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Pretty intangible. It encompasses before salvation and all the way up till somebody goes to heaven. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we know if we're on track with that or not? In every area of life, if we don't have a method or a plan of evaluating our progress, it's just a matter of time that we're going to end up off course. It's in our marriages too. It's more prevalent in our marriages. Because if, if we don't have a plan and we don't work the plan and we're not communicating, I mean, it's just obvious. I mean, husbands and wives go like this, and many of men in divorce. Churches, it's not so obvious. Churches can go decades, decades being off course. And the people are still gathering together, doing the same things that they did for the last two decades, and people aren't getting saved, people aren't growing, people aren't loving Jesus more, they're not serving each other more. And we don't want to be a part of that. So how do we evaluate our success and progress as a church? And this was really the meat of the message. And we're going to pass on it today. What Gary had to say was way more important than what I've got to say. And I guess what I want to say in closing, and worship team, why don't you work your way up here. What I want to say in closing is, is that this is a new year. And there's something, I love the way the Lord set up the calendar. There's something refreshing about being able to turn the page. And whatever it is in 2007 that you're regretting and that you want to change, now's a great time to do it. I want to remind you, though, Romans 8.1 is kind of my life verse. It's because it's kind of the way I'm wired. Because I spend a lot of time focusing on my shortcomings, and oftentimes I don't see God's grace. But there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet, it says before that, should we continue sinning so that grace may abound even more? And the Apostle Paul says what? May it never be. So there's that balance between living in grace, yet acknowledging our sin... And for a lot of us, our sin is sins of omission. Where we're not prioritizing the living God of the universe. And I'm not speaking to anybody in between. God has really convicted me in a huge way. I want to be used by Him. And my prayer is that He would use each of you in a fresh and unique way. Use your gifts to edify the body. And let's attack 
with the living word of God and the Holy Spirit that's in us. Let's attack this community and love them and serve them into the kingdom. Amen.